I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 299. Oh my goodness. Insert ellipses. The next one's 300. (laughs) I'm a dork. (laughs) Yes, you are. You are. Y'all, so if you're listening to this, I'm in the mountains, you know, doing my thing, aka Mm -hmm. my husband. I was going to say, okay. But, okay, so many people are going to be in the mountains around the same time, like, missing people by just, like, a couple of days. Oh, my gosh. And thank you so much, Dana, because she hooked Colby and me up with Dollywood passes. What? Yes. I think she has, like, all the time. annual? Yeah, and so it comes with friend passes. They're, like, bring a friend tickets. And so she sent them to us. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I've never been. I'm so excited. Me either. I'm so jealous. So we're going to be able to see all the lights. Oh, yes. So anyway, I am super excited about the trip. Thank you, Dana. And sorry I'm missing everybody. Oh, my God. That would have been amazing, though. I mean, it's still going to be amazing, but like it would have been cool for you to be able to see people. Yeah. Yeah. And just so y'all know, the ornament counter, we're at seven. Oh, my God. But he's gotten to where, I mean, knock on wood, there's only been two of them that he completely destroyed. He just, like, eats them and just, like, he doesn't completely destroy them anymore. Whereas before, it would be, like, glass that he like. Yeah. Now it'll be just, like, a couple of teeth marks and some wood. <laughs> oh my God. So I just hang it back up because, I mean, <laughs> the bottom of my tree's bare. I'm running out of ornaments, y'all. <laughs> Like, Carrie, why don't you have any ornaments on the bottom third of your tree? Well, my dog eats glass. <laughs> that reminds me of Pippi Longstocking, because she used to eat, like, nails and yes. stuff. Yes. Also, as soon as you said that, I immediately pictured fingernails, even though I know it's, like, hammer nails. Yeah. And I was like, Ugh. oh, no. <laughs> I'd rather eat real nails than <laughs> fingernails. Mm-mm. We got to move on. Well, not to give y'all whiplash, <laughs> but... I'm happy, 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 but it's about to be sad, sad, sad. (laughs) Carrie looks so uncomfortable (laughs) right now. Well, because I just know how you and I are with trauma. Like, we laugh our way through it. Yeah. And not everybody does that or can do that, and that's fine. But we are those people that we're like, ha, 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 ha. But, like, also really bad, but also ha, 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 but, like, really bad. (laughs) Yeah. So if uh, I didn't post this in the Facebook group, I just posted it on my personal page. But this past Sunday, so the 3rd of December, Marley wasn't feeling good. And it's been up and down for probably right before I went on the cruise. Because I even told Carrie, like, if something happens, just please take care of her. Like, Because I had her as the emergency contact for the border, you know, just like, please take care of her, you know, all the things. And I mean, I guess like mother's instinct... Something was wrong with her. Um, We took her to the vet. And I say we because me, Tiffany, Carrie, and Colby went to the emergency vet on Sunday. And I'm going to let Carrie tell you all the details, like, of what happened, like, the diagnosis. Well, they wanted to run a lot of, like, blood work and an ultrasound and all of that on her. I was like, well, let's start with the ultrasound because that's, like, the catastrophic news if it, whatever is happening is happening because her gums were really pale and that can indicate that she was bleeding. And so the ultrasound would tell us if she had blood in her stomach and she did. So 
she had a tumor on her spleen and they said that it could be like one of two things. It could just be like a mangioma that's bleeding. I think that's what he said. And they take it out and she's wonderful and it's curative. Or it could be a sarcoma, which likely is, and it's obviously malignant and more likely than not had already metastasized other places. So he said he, the vet was like, he could get in there, open her up and her poor body be like riddled with tumors. And then he would just have to close her up or he could get in there and it isn't. But, you know, after they take it out and they find out it's sarcoma, it would mean like chemo and all this stuff on her poor little 12-year-old body. Yeah. And he even said, like, the lifespan would be about five months after that. And so that would just be me being selfish yeah. to do that, to put her through that. Because that's a huge surgery, and it would have been a really hard recovery for her. So it was a very hard decision. But like I said, throughout the weeks, she has been, like, up and down, you know, where we would go on a ride, you know, she'd be happy. And then there were days that I'd have to carry her outside for her to use a bathroom and, you know, bring her water like she was drinking out of a coffee cup. But that Sunday, she wouldn't eat because Carrie had boiled her because Carrie's amazing. She had boiled her some chicken that she was eating because we thought like maybe her stomach's just upset, you know, but she wouldn't eat that. She would drink, but she wouldn't eat anything. And that's not like Marley to turn down food, like, well, meat or cheese. She would turn down anything else. So, yeah, it was just to that point that, you know, she couldn't walk that great. You know, like even that day we went outside to use the bathroom and she just laid down. It's like she kind of just fell down. Well, um, she was so exhausted because she had no blood. I mean, it was all pooling in her stomach. You could See, her poor little stomach was distended and stuff. So, yeah, you know, she was exhausted. But the day before Saturday, we had a really good day. Tiffany came out and she loved Tiffany. And Tiffany gave her some steak like she always does. We got great cuddles. And me and her went for a ride that night. And, you know, we went to McDonald's, did our little thing. And so it was really good. And I feel like she was saying her goodbyes to me then. And so we got to say our goodbyes to her on Sunday when we had to make the decision to put Marley down. And so the people were amazing. They gave us, you know, a private room. And so we all got to love on her and, you know, say our goodbyes. And I told her all of her little daily affirmations. And I thanked her for everything that she's done because she was amazing. And I mean, I even told her she was talented. <laughs> and I just hope that when we said goodbye to her here, my mom and dad said hello to her and spoiled her like they did in life. And just thank y'all for all of the love and the support that y'all have given us and all the love that y'all sent Marley and just thank you so freaking much. I can't even talk. But just know that, you know, she is not in pain anymore. And, you know, I, I don't know. Just thank you for everything. To try to lighten the mood and me not cry anymore. Um, Because I've busted a blood vessel in my eye. I was just about to tell them that. <laughs> 
And if y'all could have seen me Sunday, my eyes were almost closed because I cried so much. They were so puffy. I've never had that happen in my life. And we all know I love my mama, but I did not cry for her like I cried for Marley. That was my Marbu. She was, you know, my ride or die. And, you know, it was so hard. But anyway, to lighten the mood, because we were all there, we just kept saying, I wonder what they think of our dynamic. Because like, who's who in this (laughs) sister wives question mark? Right. (laughs) And like, we were all crying over Marley, you know? So it was like, whose dog is this? Because I did not have the money to pay for it. And so Carrie paid for it. And because again, I have amazing friends and amazing supportive like network here. And I mean, obviously I'm going to pay her back, but she got me. And so she was telling me something. Carrie paid. Tiffany was asking questions. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like, whose dog is this? And it's like, it's all of us. You know, it's our family. Like, I mean, Marley was here. Like, she moved to Houston with me and Carrie. All my socks. Took (laughs) my socks all outside. (laughs) The guy that would do our yard at our rental house would just, like, lay them over the fence. Take my socks outside. Just one, two. Never never there. (laughs) (laughs) So, it was, you know, we just tried to lighten the mood. And um, I thought it was funny because I was just thinking... Carrie must be really happy because now I would save her (laughs) if she was drowning. Because before, remember that like a long time ago, she asked me, my mama was still alive and was like. No, your mama wasn't alive when we started the podcast. No, I thought you asked me that in. Oh, I thought we talked about, maybe it was. I was going to say, I thought we talked about it on on an episode. We might have because it was still a touchy subject. But I swear my mama was alive because it was like, well, I would save my mama. Yeah. But then the was, second person yeah. was either Carrie or Marley, who were like, that's who was there. And I was like, um, uh, and Carrie was like, you better save me. I was like, uh-huh. You're what? like, you can swim. I'm saving Marley. Yeah, like, <laughs> so I was just thinking, well, Carrie's moved up now. <laughs> In this completely fake thing where, why are your dog and I drowning? And you're fine. And where's <laughs> Tiffany? <laughs> Yeah. They really did do a good job, though. Like, the doctor explained everything, where it was like, here's your options. You know, like, total decision tree. If you choose this option, these things can happen. If you choose this option, these things can happen. If you choose this option, these things can happen. I don't know how they do their job on days like that, because I was a blubbering mess. Like, I am an empathetic person, so if you cry, I will probably cry. And the amount of tears and sounds that came out of me... (laughs) Like the vet tech teared up though. Did you see her? Yeah, tear up? yeah. I, I just I don't know. Like I would be like I don't even know these people, but I am like my day is ruined and <laughs> like tears, all the things. Like so, they are so strong and so helpful and so comforting, you know, and made it a lot easier and made it like gave us space so we could say our goodbyes and could say all the things we wanted to say. This is not like a personal song, but it's a song from me to Marley. So it's You Are My Sunshine because my mom would always sing that to me. And so I always sang it to Marley because, of course, she was my daughter. And I was like seeing it in my head when I was saying goodbye to her. And 
Tiffany was like later when she, cause Tiffany stayed the night with me. So I wouldn't be alone. And Tiffany was like, I didn't want to say anything, but I almost saying you are my sunshine. And I was like, Oh my God, I was doing that. She was like, I mean, I was in my head, but I almost saying it. She was like, I knew that was y'all's song. And I was Aww. like, I was totally singing that. And I was like, but I really couldn't say anything because again, blubbering mess. Well, it's so true, though, to any medical professional like that, that's like a doctor, a nurse, some sort of like frontline worker like that, that you go from room to room. And it's like this one room, you may have a pet or a parent that's dying and you're comforting them. And then just the next room over, you know, we heard that lady bring her dog in because he had eaten rat poison. And you're like in an emergent situation trying to handle this dog, but not keeping the people waiting. And it's the same thing in human medicine, too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're you're coding somebody and the person on the room is in pain and want their pain medicine or whatever, you know, and it's like, it's so true how they have to juggle those things. Yeah. I am not equipped to do that. I will cry all the time. And what did Tiffany say? Well, I cried before we came to Donna's house because I, I just, in my gut, I just knew. And... I felt like I had known for a couple of days that it was coming, but Donna also had to get there and, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I cried before I even went to Donna's house because I wanted to be able to help Donna. And then when we were waiting on the doctor, what did Tiffany say? She was like, because Tiffany was crying, Donna was crying, and she was like, why aren't you crying, you bitch? (laughs) (laughs) And trust me, I eventually did, but... Yeah. At that moment, I was just trying to keep it together so we could make sound decisions for Marley. Yeah. But you know what's so crazy, too, is because it brought up a lot of putting Bo down because it was like yeah. very, very similar, all the things. But one of Bo's last meals was steak, too, from Tiffany. Uh, oh, my gosh. Because mm-hmm. Tiffany would always, like, if she didn't finish her steak or she had some fat left that she didn't eat or whatever, she would, you know, she'd give it to Marley. But Bo was sick. I don't even think we had gone to eat with y'all. I think she just brought it by. Maybe we had. Anyway, and um, we fed it to him right before. Like, Uh I think it was like the day before we put him down. Gosh. Well, sounds about right. Tiffany's a grim reaper. God, she is. (laughs) Now it's with steak. (laughs) Does somebody say steak? It sounds like a whole nother meaning for us. (laughs) But your girl over here has been tough, though. Sunday was a really, really hard day all around. But Donna's been super tough and making it through and doing what she's got to do to get through her day. And I'm proud of you. Thank you. Because it is, like you said, at least when I lost Bo, I had Colby here to... It was another soul here helping with the silence. And so you're doing remarkably well. Thank you. You may, you know, break down in like a week, but right now you're (laughs) doing remarkably well. Because grief is a finicky bitch. It is. I mean, I still look for, Mm -hmm. you know, every time I pass, I'm like, oh, wait, hold on, because I don't want to knock her water bowl over and there's no water bowl because I've cleaned that up, you know? And so it's just like, Oh my gosh, I went to get me water and I was going to fill up her cup because she had filtered water. Yeah, well, you didn't, couldn't have her beard being colored by drinking tap water. Exactly. You're a white dog. <laughs> so I went to get that for her and I was like, oh no, never mind. You know, and like I have not been back to our normal places to eat because I just have not been able to have that bandwidth of yeah. telling them, you know? Yeah. But I went to Taco Bell and 
I got a nacho bel grande. That's my order. And with extra cheese and normally extra meat. So I could give it to Marley. And I didn't say extra meat, but I caught myself like putting little chunks to the side, Mm -hmm. you know? And then I was like, oh, no, she's not here. You know, Leah. Well, it's 12 years of habit. I mean, she was 12 years old. I mean, it's going to take some time. Yeah. I will say that my job has been, like, remarkable. Mm -hmm. And they're so supportive. And my coworkers have went above and beyond to be supportive and, like, just amazing. So I'm so thankful I was able to take off Sunday. Like, I was working and crying. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't focus, you know? And they were like, take off. Like, you know, take care of you and Marley. And then I had to let them know, you know, on Sunday that I wasn't going to be able to be there on Monday. And they fully understood. And they're still like, hey, if you need anything, you do you. Like, take care of you. But I, like, we have our reviews per week. And last week, I didn't know how preoccupied I was with Marley. And not that I did bad, but it's normally like all solid dark green. And there was one that like my emails per hour had slipped some. And I was like, I had made a mistake on something. And it was like, yeah, because I was so worried because I knew I knew something was Mm -hmm. bad. But it was like, well, it might be this or it might be that or, you know, and again, she would be bad one day and then great for three days and then oh, bad, a different way, you know? And so it was just like, oh, I don't know. Like, we'll wait. But I could really tell just how preoccupied. And like, I was such in the habit of looking back at her on my bed, just making sure she was okay and all of that. Like, it, I was just like, God, you don't know it while you're in it. Mm-hmm. But after, you can definitely tell. Well, she is lucky to have had you as a mom and... You gave her an amazing life with all the love and the praise. I mean, you told her she was talented. And creative. And creative and beautiful. And I I can't even, I don't know. I mean, like, it was like a thesaurus for you (laughs) when you would give her her daily affirmation. So she was well-loved and had a great little doggy life. Thank you. Also, my voice is shaking because I've been crying. But if you hear my teeth chatter, it's because it's a freaking icebox. In Carrie's house right now. And she can't disagree because she said it. I'm not cold right this moment, but I was cold for a minute. <laughs> oh my God. So I have turned on my heater once and I forgot what it smells oh, it's like. The worst. The worst. I was like, oh, but the warmth is amazing. One time I turned my heater on for the first time in an apartment and it set off the smoke detectors. Oh it starts so bad. Like the, you know what I'm talking about? I was like, oh, oh, gosh. I mean, what do you even do? Like fan away nothing? Like why did it set it off? (laughs) What is this, air? (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, before we get into this episode and talk about Donna's story, we got to talk about Lumi because they are back. Did you just hear all the stuff I was talking about? I am in my messy, depressy stage right now. And I'm going to just be honest. When I'm like this, sometimes I'll go a weekend and I won't shower. I won't go outside. I won't do anything. I'll be in my little bubble. But guess what? I don't have BO because I use Lumi. 
Well, that's because Lumi is perfect for all your bits to keep odor away. It does not just cover up, it stops it in its tracks. And tis the season to get Lumi for all the people on your lists. Because you know what? Lumi is on the top of the most wanted lists on Amazon for personal care products. Well, I know why, because it really does work. And like Carrie said, it doesn't just mask the odor. It's clinically proven to block odor all day and control it for up to 72 hours. Did I mention it lasts a whole weekend? What's really great about Lumi is, aside from the fact that it comes in really great scents or unscented, because again, you're not just masking one scent for another. You're really taking care of it. But what I love the best is that you truly can put it Anywhere on your body, your pits, feet, undercarriage, underarm. Well, that's your pits, but you get the point. Literally every single place. I like to do it under the bosoms, mm-hmm. under the spare tire, mm-hmm. and in between the legs. Yep. Those are my hot points. <laughs> my hot girl hot points. <laughs> and I mean sweaty because sweat equals smell. And Lumi keeps me from smelling. So seriously, don't think of it as just a deodorant. It's a preodorant. And it comes in various applications, too. You can get like a solid stick that you use like a true deodorant. You can get wipes. You can get body wash. You can get all types of different applications for your needs. And we all know that Donna loves that toasted coconut. I do. I do. They've got a cool cucumber that smells really good and a clean tangerine. That's the body wash I have, and Uh I really like that. It is currently in my shower right now. My own, not yours. Well, the wipes that I have are the cool cucumber, and it's like the perfect little, like, ooh, I'm feeling kind of stinky. Let me just use this wipe, cleanse me up a little bit, and voila, good smelling. Good smelling. (laughs) And with over 275 thousand five-star reviews you know this is good and it's not just for a certain type of gender it's for all people oh colby and i both have our own stick because long long time ago when lumi came out i ordered us both our own stick (laughs) i say you get one and i get one so don't be putting your balls on my undercarriage via a stick so y'all got to get in on this action just in time for the holidays so like i said you can be checking these things off on people's wish lists. You're going to head over to lumideodorant.com and use promo code CREEP. And what's that going to get you? That's going to get you $5 off a starter pack if you're a new customer. But like, what if you're like me and you're a returning customer? You can get $5 off your next purchase of $30 or more. All you got to do is use the code CREEP at lumideodorant.com. And the starter pack is perfect for stocking stuffers. You can get a starter pack and you don't have to give it to just one person. You can sprinkle that throughout the stockings or create a bundle and give it to them. Seriously. And also get one for you. Self-care. Come on. So the starter pack comes with a solid stick of deodorant, which I love, a cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice. So like we talked about the deodorant wipes, the mini body wash, You can get two products of your choice for free. And guess what? Free shipping. So again, go to lumideodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. 
and new customers will get $5 off their Lumi starter pack with code CREEP. Or, like we said, if you're a returning customer like me, you can get $5 off your next purchase of $30 or more. So, Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant.com and use promo code CREEP. All right, so my story isn't super long this week, mainly because of things I said prior. Donna, you couldn't get your shit together to do your story. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to South Africa for this story, and we're doing a bit of folklore. I'm going to be covering the Tokolosh, and it's sometimes pronounced Tokoloshi, but a lot of the things I listen to It pronounced it Tokolosh, so that's what I'm going to do. All right, picture a little gremlin or goblin-type creature, so short, kind of gray-colored, has wrinkly skin, and is sometimes hairy, like my chin, and it has long, spindly fingers. Not like me. I got little sausages. But it doesn't have any eyes, and it has a hole in the top of its head. Now, the reason for this is how it's created, which we'll get to in just a second. Now, another feature I cannot skip over is that some of the Tokolosh are known to have very large appendages. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. Like, the penis has to be slung over its shoulder. (laughs) It's an over-the-shoulder boulder holder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to get it out of its way. So it's literally throwing it over like a continental soldier. And, I mean... Of course you chose this story. <laughs> you know what we say about short kings. You cannot count them out because height does not matter when it comes to the size of the package. No, absolutely. Now, if you're from South Africa, you probably have heard about the Tokolosh. It's kind of like they get blamed for a lot of different things. And it's because they are devious little creatures and are never up to any good. They are created to wreak havoc and cause misfortune and sometimes even death. So these things are kind of like those nebulous or whatever, not the clouds, the uh, nimba. uh, (laughs) What are those little things that? The imps? Those. Okay. (laughs) Just go with it. So remember I said they don't have eyes and then they have that hole in the top of their head? Yeah. How the fuck do they see? Okay. So, well... Carrie's asking all the questions. Okay, okay, take my question away. Continue. (laughs) So say a person wants to fuck with someone, ruin their life. They would hire a witch to be basically like Dr. Frankenstein and create this monster. Now, there are different theories as to how they make the Tokolosh, but it's said that only the most powerful witches know the true way to create these evil creatures. But the main way I read about was that the witch or the sorcerer would go to the cemetery and collect dirt and also a corpse or various body parts and then sew them together to make like a custom tokolosh. But then they gouge out the eyes and only leave the eye sockets and then they use like a hot piece of metal, like a pipe or a poker to also pierce the hole in the top of the head and this is kind of like making them into zombie puppets where they're reanimated but they can't 
think for themselves. They only do what the witch instructs them to do. And because of this, they're also known as a witch's familiar, but it's not usually just created by the witch to have one, which I'll get to that later too. Lots of anticipation here, but just trying to get y'all set up for the gist of these creatures. Not you give it everybody a how-to guide of how to make these things. (laughs) Also, uh, what makes them their petite size is the special powder that will shrink their body down. Because remember, you get this corpse. Well, they're like, they're like a typical size. Well, you got to shrink it down. And that's why they say like, it's kind of like real wrinkly because, you know, skin doesn't always just uh, retract. So they sprinkle that powder. Like and Beetlejuice. Like a Beetlejuice when he sprinkles it and his head shrinks. Yes. How could you not remember that? That's literally what you say I look like. I know. <laughs> Another thing about the Tokolosh is that it can turn invisible by either drinking water or swallowing a stone. I swear I was thinking when you were describing it that it's kind of sounded like a gremlin. And you said it disappears by drinking water. But don't they get like... No, it's if they eat. I was going to say, yeah. if they drink water, don't they get great, you know, yeah. like extra, but it's, never mind, it's if they eat. Okay, bye. I'll be quiet. <laughs> now, the reason I say that a witch wouldn't just make a tokolosh for shits and giggles is because there is a hefty price to pay. And it's not just monetary. If you want to create a tokolosh, you have to be willing to pay the price with a soul. And not your own, but a loved one. And you cannot pick the loved one who's going to be sacrificed. So it's not like you're like, oh, I hate Aunt Jenny. Cool. You know, like toss her up and, you know, make my tokolosh and go do whatever. No, you don't get that power. So you're basically entering a pact that one of your loved ones sometime, some way will die in return for you summoning this tokolosh. So you have to really hate the person you are creating this tokolosh to torture. Like, you know, you have to hate them more than you love your family and your friends. Because like, say, all right, I don't care about my family. That's fine. I'll sacrifice one of them. But remember, it doesn't really have a start or an expiration date. So even if you would sacrifice them, But say you met the love of your life, you know, two years later after you did this and, you know, the world stopped spinning, everything was amazing, that person could be sacrificed then. But okay, so what do the Tokolosh do? Well, like I said, they could be devious little pranksters and really annoy the shit out of you, but it can also turn sinister. So literally could be like stealing your food, causing your milk to sour, getting you fired, killing your livestock, all the way to choking you in your sleep, scratching and clawing up your body while you sleep, draining the life from you and sucking out your breath as you sleep. All I hear you saying is something's fucking with my sleep and I'm out. (laughs) And well, you remember the Tokolosh has that really big penis? That means they also have a really big sexual appetite, and they're known to sexually assault sleeping victims. That's disgusting. Yeah. Now, 
to liven that up a little bit because that's so hard. Real quick, there are stories that run like silly in the Daily Sun type tabloid that will be like the twerking tokolosh was seen here. You know, like it's always something like the tokolosh made my husband cheat on me or, you know, the tokolosh won the lottery. <laughs> like all the things like they blame on the tokolosh. But there are some that are real bad. So there is this incident in 1933 where this man killed his nine-year-old nephew because he believed he was a tokolosh trying to attack him. Like, that's how on guard he was. And so he didn't think rationally. He was just like, oh, my God, this thing is coming to kill me. And again, it's kind of like the scapegoat for bad behavior in people. You know, like, oh, it wasn't me. It was a tokolosh. Mm -hmm. So, like, in the early 1990s, there were a lot of children that were seen by pediatricians. and. There were three of them that came and spoke out about it, but they were like, we're seeing a lot of this. And the mother would come in to the clinic and say, hey, the tokolosh did this to my child. And it would be like pins and sewing needles forced into various parts of their bodies. Now, the pediatricians were like, yeah, I don't think it was the parents themselves doing this. It was more so the caregiver, and that would normally be like a female neighbor, you know, a local babysitter. And so by the parents saying that it was a tokolosh, they were able to seek medical treatment for their kids, but not have to press charges against anyone or have charges pressed against themselves. And they wouldn't lose their standing in the community by saying this person did this when they really didn't have any proof, all the things. So it was just like such a widespread belief and, you know, fear of Tokolosh that it was a, like a pass, like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll treat the kid. You know what I mean? But one case, and you might have covered this, but I don't think so, but it was in 1953, there was a serial killer Elafasi Msami, and he murdered 15 people. And he claimed it wasn't him, but he was possessed by a tokolosh. And that is why it made him rape, murder, and dismember his victims. So it really is a wide range of things that, you know, people have done, people have had done to them that they blame on the tokolosh. That's awful. It really is. Now, how did this folklore get started? No one knows for sure, but this has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And basically, it was kind of born out of the numerous mysterious deaths that occurred while people who were seen to be relatively healthy They were sleeping, but they would never wake up. So in the beginning, people lived in these round huts, but the temps would get super low at night. So to keep warm, they would sleep on grass mats that were laid out circling the fire in the middle of the room. 
Well, unbeknownst to them, the fire was actually depleting the oxygen levels and leaving a surplus of carbon monoxide. And for people who are like me and didn't know, carbon monoxide is heavier than air. So it sinks to the bottom and they were sleeping on the floor. So the folklore was kind of birthed out of tragic deaths that people didn't understand. So they created something they did understand. You know, a boogeyman who came at night, stole the souls of people. And you really couldn't think it was just random, though, because, you know, people had to be targeted then. If me and Carrie are sleeping and she dies and I'm alive, well, she must have been targeted. She must have been, you know, something wrong with her. Like she had done something bad and so she was targeted. Or, you know, it's like when we put things on people like, well, they were in that situation and that's why they did X, Y, Z. And like, they don't understand that crime happens to everyone. You know, they're just trying to like make it where they can distance themselves and feel safe. Like, oh, I would never go to this place. So I'd be safe. I feel like that's how this kind of came about. Like, oh, well, I'm a good person. No one would want to harm me. So I'll be safe. But Carrie was terrible. And so someone's, you know, yeah. sent a tokolosh to her and killed her. And probably not in good favor with God or something like that. Right. As right. a way of like that kind of fear mongering. Yes. Don't know if that's the right word that I just used, but. <laughs> so there are ways of protecting yourself from a tokolosh. Now, remember I said they were short. Well, turns out they're just like me and they're bad climbers. So this is what people started to do. They started to raise their beds with bricks or cinder blocks. And if they raised it a little bit higher, the tokolosh couldn't climb to kill them. But we know like about the whole carbon monoxide thing. And so it makes sense if they were more elevated so they wouldn't be there laying, breathing all of that, you know, carbon monoxide in because again it doesn't travel up like pure air so the higher they are from that fire the less likely they are to die in their sleep but i will say that doesn't guarantee your safety because you know they can throw things at you put things on you you know and also just because you're safe in your like elevated bed doesn't mean that everyone in your house is and they will torture anyone to get to you kind of thing. Now, another way of protecting yourself is by sprinkling blessed salt around your home, such as doorways and windows. And usually this is like different colored salt. And it's widely known that this could help. And so they actually will sell tokolosh salt. I mean, capitalism, y'all. Right. <laughs> Literally the exact same thing that we just said, like trying to capitalize on people's fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now you could wear a charm that like really means something to you and you really believe in its protection. So it's not just like, oh, I'm going to wear this cross and it's going to be great. No, like you really have to believe in it for it to work, you know? And that could be anything. Like, so say your mom gave you a necklace and you wear that, but you really believe she's there protecting you and stuff. That could help ward off the tokolosh. 
But there's really like no surefire way of protecting yourself doing those. The only way to really protect yourself is to get rid of the evil Tokolosh who's determined to ruin your life. And the only way to do that is to find a Sangoma, and that's a witch doctor or a healer, and he doesn't dabble in black magic. So you would get the Sangoma, he would find the Muti, and that's M-U-T-H-I, so I believe that's how it's pronounced, and that's basically a conglomeration of oils, bombs, animal parts, and stuff like that that is buried somewhere, usually on your property, like close to the home of the person who is the target of the Tokolosh. And so only a Sangoma will be able to locate this and destroy it for you. That is the folklore of the Tokolosh. And I think, again, it just preys on everyone's worst fears. Something can attack you in your sleep. Or be invisible and you not know it's there and harm you, you know, or it could make you actually do these heinous acts of violence. But again, is that all true or is it just a scapegoat for people to hide their true colors? I think it's both. I think bad people are always going to find a way to use something like this to justify their behaviors. Yeah. But I think people who are truly more fearful people are going to believe it and then they're going to make it a thing. Yeah. Another thing about this folklore is I like that we can see one of the origin stories for this because it really tells about the time. Like, again, this was generations and generations and generations ago. So they didn't know anything like, you know, Western medicine now. And, you know, they didn't know carbon monoxide was heavier. And so they were, you know, all potential victims of falling asleep and never waking up, you know, and they couldn't wrap their head around that. And so as silly as it may seem now, like when we hear old wives tales and, you know, things like that, you can see this was really something that they had to create to understand the tragic losses that these people were experiencing and I think like it kind of makes every other folklore you know that might seem silly really put into perspective the fear that these people had and you know they tried the best they could to rationalize it and maybe that's not what we go to now but it's because we know more now well that I mean folklore religion all of those things were created because of, like you said, the fear and the inability to explain things and all of that. And so it's like, you know, I don't understand how this could happen. It's a miracle. And it's like, whereas now you could maybe explain like, oh, well, I don't know. Can't think of anything. But blah, 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 blah happened. That's why they were able to do that. Yeah. But, I mean, not to say miracles don't actually happen. I don't know. I just feel like that's, we always, I mean, even think about, If you see something you don't really understand, your brain tries to make sense of it. Like, you see something weird on the wall and you're like, there's a face in there. Like, you know what I mean? Your brain tries to make sense of things. And so it's its way of protecting itself. Yeah. I mean, there is a face on the wall when I see that. But (laughs) there's not. I know. Your brain just sees a face. Yeah. Also, I think it can be both, though. Because, like you said, not to say there's not miracles, 
because we do believe in that. You know, I do. And, you know, there's like, I think everything happens for a reason. I literally told my manager today, I was like, I think I'm at Dutchie right now for this because they were so understanding yeah, and everything. And then like just my coworkers and I mean, I can't express like how amazing they have been. And so it's just like I have work that I'm proud of and, Mm -hmm. you know, like I love to go to and all of that. And I'm like, if I was in my job, not the this past one, but the one before, like I wasn't in a good place, you know, and then this to happen and stuff. So I really believe things happen for a reason. But I can also see scientifically like the carbon monoxide thing. Right. You know, and so I think both exist in the world and that's what makes it like fucking magical. <laughs> Don't it was laugh so, at me. No, it was just so poetic. But it made me giggle like fucking magical. <laughs> but it is. No, I totally get what you're saying. It just made me giggle. Like, especially y'all because she's got her arms tucked in, her shirt because she's freezing and she just like, like, did her hands like, what? Like, fucking magical. <laughs> but she didn't because they're inside her arm or inside her sleeves, I guess I should say. <laughs> well, before we jump into my story, we got to talk about real. Because real paper is freaking amazing. It is bamboo toilet paper and other paper products that have changed my life, okay? She's not lying. I'm not. Y'all. Real Paper is premium, sustainable bamboo toilet paper that, well, could be life-changing if you're Donna. I really do love Real Paper, too, but no one loves it as much as their hype (laughs) girl over here. Well, you know what? Real toilet paper doesn't miss anything on my bum. It is nice and clean and no residue, y'all. Not only residue of, like, not getting everything, but also, like, the toilet paper itself. Because that's not okay. Because that will irritate your booty because you know it itches sometimes. With real toilet paper, you are not sacrificing your bum, the planet, anything. Real toilet paper is luxurious and feels like an upgrade. Real paper is soft yet strong and really great for the planet. And like Donna's favorite thing about it, it's shipped to your door for free. And in plastic-free packaging. You can schedule it on a subscription, which is what Donna does, or you can do a one-time purchase. But with a subscription, you definitely are never going to have to worry about forgetting to buy toilet paper at the store. Look, I like to have a surplus of toilet paper because when that time comes, you know you're covered. Same, girl, same. So you got to head over to realpaper.com slash creep and sign up for a subscription using the code CREEP at checkout. You're automatically going to get 30% off your first order and, duh, free shipping. Also, Real is partnered with One Tree Planted, and so with every box of Real that you buy, you are funding reforestation efforts across the country. So unlike any other toilet paper that's going to cut down the trees, Real is helping to actively plant them. So head on over to realpaper.com slash creep and sign up for a subscription using the code creep at checkout and you'll automatically get 30% off your first order along with free shipping. That's realpaper.com, R-E-E-L paper.com 
slash creep and enter code creep to get 30% off your first order and free shipping. Let's make a change for good this year and switch to real paper. Real is paper for the planet. So I'm doing a recommendation this week again, and this recommendation comes from Paula M. And they actually recommended like a couple of different things. And I'm pretty sure this is the second story that I've done of their recommendations. So this is a story of Emma Walker. Emma lived with her parents, Jill and Mark Walker, and her little brother, Evan. Also, one thing I was looking at said that her dad's name was Marker. And I was like, her dad's name is Marker Walker? Why the hell would his parents do that to him? But it was Mark. It was, I think, like just like a typo in oh, like, one shit. article. <laughs> because everything else said Mark. Who knows? That could be his real name, and he goes by Mark. But I was like, <laughs> Marker Walker? Yeah, no. Try saying that. Marker Walker. Oh, okay. I figured the R's would get you. R's oh, W. okay. Well, I figured the R and a W back-to-back like you yeah. that, like, messes you up. It does. But also, I am that person who did the typo because in my head, it would be like, Mark Walker is Marker. Yes. So, at the time of this story, Emma was a cheerleader at Central High School in Knoxville, Tennessee. So, Emma was exactly like you hear in all these stories. The beautiful, smart, funny, loving, had all the friends, had all the things going for her. She wanted to go to college to be a neonatal nurse. And she really just kind of busied herself with school, being a cheerleader, and she worked at a grocery store. When she was a freshman in high school, she started dating a junior who was on the football team. He was a wide receiver, and his name is Riley Gall. The gall of him. Well, Riley was raised by his mom and grandparents, and he was a good student. Wasn't like everything described him as not the typical jock. They just said he Mm -hmm. was like, you know, a little more on the nerdy side is how things would kind of describe him. So shortly after meeting, Riley and Emma started dating. Now, Emma's parents really liked him. They're like, he's cute. He seems really well-mannered, you know, they were like, all right, that's fine. Go ahead, you know, date each other. They would go on little dates after football games. They'd go eat, you know, do all the things. And Emma was really happy with him at first. Now, the story happens around, like, 2016, so you really get to see a lot of, like, social media posts of the two, and they seem really happy. Emma would write things like, look how lucky I am with pictures of her and Riley. And by all accounts from the friends, the relationship was normal. Now, ABC News did an article on this, which is where I got a lot of this information. And it has a lot of like good quotes from her family and friends. But eventually, the friends start going, well, maybe he's not so great. They started noticing that Riley didn't really talk to the friends. And when they would talk to Emma about it, she would be like, well, he's just shy, which I can understand that because I I don't even know if I said this on the podcast, but at Thanksgiving, Colby's got this huge family and one of his nephews brought one of their girlfriends and they're like 18, 19. And she was like super comfortable and casual and like everything I would want to be just to be able to be that comfortable around strangers. And I was talking with one of his sisters and sister-in-laws and we were just saying like, how different generations are because 
I I was like, I think I probably was around three or four times before I even said a word just because I wish I could be more confident like her. And his sister was like, yeah, why was that? And I was like, well, I was shy. Like I was nervous. I was shy. So I can appreciate that, that if someone really is shy in big groups like that, that, you know, they may not really talk to the friends, but it's, I feel like it's a whole nother thing when you're in high school and y'all are all going to classes together and hanging out by the lockers and all that. And he's not really talking. But then it kind of turned into the friends felt like Riley didn't really want Emma to hang out with anybody but him. And he started to become a little more controlling over the things that she did. He was super clingy and, again, just would like, be like, well, don't hang out with him, hang out with me kind of thing. And they had a pretty on and off again relationship that you do see sometimes in high school. But these were really dramatic breakups. It was like world ending breakups when they would break up. So if they would break up or Emma would make Riley mad, he would send some pretty mean text messages to her. In the ABC News article, they had some quotes of some of the text messages saying that he would tell her, I hate you. I hate everything about you. You're the biggest bitch I've ever come in contact with. So these were really hateful messages that she would get from him, like sometimes in breakups and sometimes just if they were like in arguments and all. But he would do what guys like him always do, or I guess I should say abusers like him always do, turn on the charm not long after it. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said those things. I don't really feel that way. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, yada, yada, yada. And for Emma, she had a really hard time with that of, I think, kind of navigating what a normal relationship should be like, because you should never have your partner say those things to you. I swear, abusers like that, it's like they get pulled into a class to learn how to be possessive, how to manipulate, how to gaslight, all of that, because they all know these freaking tactics. Because it's innate to them. They just know how to do that because it's like how they're wired. Yeah. And they always seem to find people that they can manipulate the easiest, you know? Mm-hmm. So it really is like they are their prey. Exactly. Just like how like a pedophile finds someone that they prey on, that they start grooming and all that. It's the same thing for these types of people too. Riley would also do weird stuff. Like he would sit outside of her job just for hours, like waiting on her to get off. I'm sure watching who she's interacting with through the window and all. I don't know that for sure. But I mean, that's the kind of vibe that I'm getting from this situation. No one sits outside and just like watches for hours. Yeah, that is like the biggest red flag. Yeah, there's a difference in being like, okay, I'm here 30 minutes early to pick you up. Yeah, I'm going to sit here and watch TikToks or read my book while I wait on you. You know, I was in, I, I don't know, I was out and about so i know you know know you get off in 30 minutes i'll see when you get off yeah like there's completely different reasons why you would be outside just waiting but not for hours right and emma's friends would bring things up to her but she would just kind of brush it off and just say like no it's fine it's you know anything to kind of shut her friends up basically well i feel like you can reason it away when you're in that 
situation. I was just about to say, when you're in the thick of it, and again, she's, you know, this is, we're talking about a two-year relationship at this point. So you're going from like a 14-year-old to a 16-year-old. She doesn't know. She doesn't know that this, and even if she does know in her gut, she's 16 years old. I mean, how does she navigate this, you know? Well, her parents were there and they did see some stuff that they would have conversations with Riley about. And they would say that, you know, he was pretty kind to their face and would be receptive to like their feedback of like, hey, you don't really need to do that. Like, don't sit outside of her work or, you know, whatever. They would have conversations with him about. He would be pretty receptive, but then things would kind of always go back to how it was. They really wanted. Emma to end things with Riley, but we've all been teenagers. And if you're a parent of a teenager, you certainly know that if they say you can't see him anymore, it's only going to push them more together. Honestly, I feel like that's not even teenagers, though. It's if anyone says, like, you shouldn't do this, you want to rebel against that. Correct. Well, there was a point in time, though, that the parents finally were like, you're done. Like, you can't see him anymore they saw a message from riley that told emma you're dead to me i'll check the obituary fuck you and they were like absolutely not first of all what but second of all he cannot fucking talk to you like that like y'all are done like i'm grounding you give me your cell phone you can't talk to him anymore why are they grounding her well like from talking to him oh okay But also, I mean, they don't want her, like, going all these places. And, like, they're trying to make a break for them. Like, no more seeing each other. No more talking to each other. But it didn't work because Riley actually got Emma an iPod Touch so she could message him through the Wi-Fi. So it didn't work because they kept talking. And, again, he would always come back with, I'm sorry. I love you. You know, I don't really feel that way. All the things. So in 2016, in the fall, Riley had already graduated high school. He's 18 at this point. Emma's 16. And Riley's in college in Maryville, I think, about like 30, 45 minutes away from where they are in Knoxville. He's playing football there. And like I said, they had been on and off again. And they were at a point now where Emma's parents were like, okay, you're done and What they were doing was not letting her go anywhere but cheerleading school home so that they could control her interactions with Riley. And you can really tell how Emma was internalizing all the things that she was going through because her parents talk about in this ABC article how when she was kind of in that quote, grounded stage. That's really not the right word for it, but they were really monitoring her that she started kind of becoming her old self again as how her father described her, that she would actually like eat dinner with them and hang out with them. So you can really see how much she had isolated herself because of Riley. Because it's like she's living in this, I don't even know if state of fear is the right word, but trying to protect him and guard him and their conversations and Make sure he's getting what he needs and she's kind of losing herself in it. And at this point, Emma had broken up with him and she'd even text her friends like, this is it. I'm done. Like, this is actually the final time. 
Well, Riley had a really hard time with the breakup. Apparently, he attempted to die by suicide by taking some pills and drinking alcohol with them. And he just was having like a lot of like mood swings and just having a hard time coping. And I just, I feel so sorry for all of the people in this story because these are kids dealing with adult problems that they don't know how to handle. These are, you know, Riley's friends who are trying to help him even at college through all these mood swings. And I mean, he tried to die by suicide and they're trying to help him. And I mean, even though technically they're adults, they don't know how to do this, you know, and then especially Emma's friends who they are very young and they're trying to figure out how to talk their friend through this abusive relationship because teen domestic violence is so just not talked about, I feel like, and not understood because, you know, people like they're teenagers, they're not experiencing all these things, but they are in relationships that can have just as much domestic violence as anybody else. So on November 18th of 2016, Emma is at a friend's house. Now, it was like one of the only things that her parents let her do because her parents were still monitoring her, but they let her go to this party. And that night, she tells one of her friends, like, wait, look at this text message. And she says that, you know, she's getting these really weird texts that basically say, I've got somebody that you care about and I'm going to hurt them if you don't come outside come alone, don't tell anybody, don't call police, but if you don't come, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hurt them. And Emma kind of sees through it because she's like blocked Riley's number and all of that. And so she kind of sees through it and is like, this is Riley, like, or, or this is one of Riley's friends. He's put you up to this. And they're like, this isn't, um, clearly you don't care about this person. You need to come outside. Don't call the police, you know, all the things come alone. And she's like, I know this is a prank. I know Riley. This is one of Riley's friends. And they're like, if you want to hear his crying or screams, give him a call. So eventually, she's not given this texture what they want. And so they end up saying to go outside that they dropped Riley outside. So like they went from, we're going to hurt him if you don't come outside alone, to we're going to hurt him, we're going to hurt him, we're going to hurt him, to, okay, we dropped him outside. You need to go outside and take care of him because clearly you don't care about him. So you need to go take care of him. So Emma's friend and her actually go outside. And when they get outside, they see Riley lying in the ditch. So when they get to him, they're like, what the hell? And he's like, oh, like sitting up, like all confused, like, where am I? And Emma's like, why are you here? And he's like, I don't know what happened. I don't know how I got here. I was kidnapped. And she's like, I know you weren't. Like, I know you weren't kidnapped or whatever. Like, we're done. Like, leave me alone. And I really never saw anything like how, to, like, I feel like it's like a movie. We just transition away from that and we don't really know what happened of it. But I do know that nobody called police um, to report his alleged kidnapping or Nobody even called to say, like, look, he's faking this kidnapping. But it's easy because hindsight's twenty twenty to kind of look back and say, why did nobody even report 
any of this behavior to anybody. Like his parents didn't even know that he had like faked this kidnapping. But again, hindsight's twenty twenty, And when you're in the thick of it like this. Well, again, if you know he just was being weird, you know, like if you're like, he's just being weird and faked this whole thing, like you just kind of blow it off because he's been doing that kind of stuff. And you right. don't want to go to the police and again, feel silly saying, hey, this guy acted like he was being kidnapped, you know. It's hard. And like you said, they're so young. Right. Well, even his friends at college, like Emma leaves and he has to like just walk down the street leaving and like calls his friend and is like, hey, can you come get me? I was kidnapped and I'm like on the street by myself. And his friends are like, you were what? And they didn't believe him, but like they went and got him. I don't know. It's just it's just such bizarre behavior and all these red flags going off. But also, it's because I know the story. Exactly, yeah. Also, I feel like because this is so recent, we see things on TV that, like, teenagers go through, and it's, like, life-changing things. And, like, you can kind of be like, well, this is kind of normal. Like, for someone to do this, yeah, it's kind of normal. And, like, versus back in the day, people just didn't understand all of that. But now... We're, like, kind of desensitized to it. Right. Because, like, Gossip Girl is, su- I know that's so old, but, like, the shit they did on that, Riverdale, you know, the, like, Pretty Little Liars. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, also, you know, with this story, too, because, like, a lot of their messages and stuff are on Snapchat and all of that. And it's, like, even if we think if something is, like, yeah, all teenagers go through that, these teenagers haven't gone through it. It's still a novel concept to them. To a teenager, whereas we're like, yeah, all teenagers have a rough year or have a whatever. And it's like, yeah, but they're living the rough year. And it's a novel concept to them. So, like, guide them through it, you know. And I think her parents really tried. Like, they really tried to steer her away from Riley in a way that didn't push her towards him. And in a way that they they did the best that they could. To protect her. I really think that they did. So basically the very next day, Emma goes home and she ends up texting her friends that there's somebody dressed all in black walking like up and down her street and they keep coming and ringing her doorbell over and over and over again. She's home alone and she's freaking out. So she actually ends up texting Riley and saying, I hate you, but I need you right now. Because she was scared and she didn't know who to turn to. So she turned to Riley. And Riley's like, on my way. You know, be there in a jiffy. Can't wait to help you kind of thing. So not long after Riley gets there to comfort and swoop in and save the day, Emma's mom gets home and is like, why the fuck is Riley here? And I mean, she said it nicer than that. She was like politely like, you need to go. And he's like, well, I'm just kind of making sure she's okay. And her mom even told to Emma, like, don't you think it's weird that he, like, came to your rescue? Basically, like, don't you think it was probably him in the black clothes, like, so that you would reach out for him? Like, he's trying to get your attention. And Emma was like, no, I don't don't think it was him. 
because something said that she FaceTimed him to ask him to come. And, you know, so it was like, well, she didn't see that he was in her neighborhood, but everything else said she texted him like the, I hate you, I need you. And he's like on the way. So I don't think there was a FaceTime to where she could have seen like he was in the, you know, he was in the neighborhood. But even though there was like the bizarre happenings of the day with like the him with the kidnapping the night before, the guy in black, things kind of went back to normal. But on November 21st of 2016, Jill, Emma's mom, goes in to wake Emma up for school. And she was having a hard time waking Emma up. She like bumped her leg, trying to move her around. And then she got a good look at Emma's face and realized something is seriously wrong. She checked for a pulse, and Emma didn't have a pulse. She calls for 911, and at the beginning, nobody really knew what the hell happened to Emma. Why did Emma die in her bed? The only thing that they saw was a little bit of blood kind of like behind her ear, and that was it. So they couldn't really, like, you know, quickly as like they're trying to like get her in and out, you know, get her taken care of with the first responders and all. They're like, what happened? Well, it wasn't long before police noticed a little hole in the wall. There was a bullet hole going through the wall of Emma's bedroom from the outside. There ended up being two bullet holes going from the outside of the house into Emma's room. They found two shell casings. So, you know, that's really how they found the second hole because it was like, it was hard. It was like on a different side of the house. So like I picture in her room kind of in a corner and, you know, so one was on one side, one was on the other. So they ended up, of course, finding it. And that is how Emma died. She had been killed from a gunshot wound from outside of her house that was fired into her bedroom. They couldn't find the second bullet at first because it was actually stuck in her pillow. That is so fucking sad. So I was listening to the podcast Court Junkie on this story, and they do such a great job on this story. I highly recommend you listening to it. But this is where I heard this part was that night that Emma's dad had actually heard a sound but didn't really know what it was because it woke him up from his sleep. And at first he just thought like one of the kids was up, but you know, there's been some weird happening. So he got up to kind of check things and Emma was asleep in her bed. Emma was asleep in his bed. So, you know, he just kind of looked around the house. Everything seemed fine and he went back to bed. So they did hear it. They just didn't know what they heard. And again, Emma just looked to be sleeping in her bed. Right. And like you said, it woke him up. So when you're waking, you get woken up. I can't think of the sound right. all the time. It was just like, wait, what was that? So, of course, rumors are flying around town. People are thinking that Emma died by suicide. They don't know, like, what's going on. And Riley, of course, is posting all the things on social media mourning the loss of Emma. So the police, of course, know that she didn't die by suicide. So they start asking family and friends who could have wanted to hurt Emma. And very quickly, everyone is naming Riley. 
So long story short about all of this, the police end up finding out from some of Riley's friends at school that Riley had actually stolen his grandfather's gun. Now, the friends were kind of concerned about that because, you know, he had already had one attempt on his life. And so they were fearful that he may do it again because he had told them that he had stolen his grandfather's gun. And this was even before Emma had died. And they were like, bro, are you good? Like, is this something we should be concerned about? And he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But then police find out that he had actually asked his friends, hey, so how do you think you get fingerprints off a gun? I mean, come on. I mean, what do you mean how do you think you get fingerprints <laughs> off a gun? Like, have you never watched anything on TV? Right. Well, also, why would you ask your friends that? I don't know, because thank God he's an idiot. So, long story short with that, like I said, Court Junkie goes into a ton of detail about kind of the nuances of the like the timeline of the gun and all of that. But what police end up doing is pulling Riley in for an interrogation. And during the interrogation, he was super weird. Like he kept saying the girl instead of Emma. What? Literally, he would say, the girl, she texted me. And they're like, which girl? And he goes, the one that passed away. What? Like, the fuck? So the police, obviously, Spidey Sits is going off. They know Riley's involved in this. And then when they ask him where he was, he says that he had to go to his grandparents' house to log out of his computer for school because he, so he could log in, like, at school. And he said, basically, he just, like, sat in his car and cried for, like, three hours. All the things. About that girl? Yeah, about the girl. So, police know that he's lying. And they do end up getting cell phone information, data, whatever, to prove that he wasn't just sitting on campus 45 minutes away for hours upon hours. But what they do is they get his friends to convince him that they're going to help him get rid of the gun because he's like wanting to get rid of it because he tells his friends like, look, I didn't kill Emma, but like the police, if I have this gun, they're going to say I did it. So I need to get rid of it. And the friends are like, makes total sense. We'll help. So they are all wired up, go in the car. And as soon as the friends like have visual, like, okay, he for sure has the gun. You know, they're in like a text conversation with the cops being like, saw it. The police swoop in and arrest him. But they didn't just find the gun. They found in his little bag of goodies, like the black clothing, like all this other stuff that ties him to basically everything. So police arrest Riley. And this ends up going to trial in May of 2018. Now, Riley's defense says, okay, yeah, he killed her. But he didn't mean to. What he wanted to do was everything that he's already done. He wanted to scare her so that he could swoop in and be the hero. Like the person walking in black and she's the one that he called, yada, yada, yada. He didn't mean to kill her. He wanted to scare her so he could be the superhero. Well, the prosecution's like, you fired into her room 
where she's sleeping, where you know where she's sleeping, and you pointed the gun directly there, like, no, you you intended to kill her. Like, you absolutely did. So after about five hours of deliberation, the jury comes back, and they find him guilty of first-degree murder, as well as stalking, theft, reckless endangerment, and being in possession of a firearm during a dangerous felony. And a first-degree murder conviction in Tennessee is an automatic life sentence. Now, they decided to not charge him, like not sentence him with all those other things. So he'll be eligible for parole in like 51 years, I think. So he'll be like in his 70s when he's actually eligible for parole. And he says he's sorry that he never meant to actually kill her, that he really was just trying to scare her. But fuck all the way off. Emma died because of you. And I I don't know. Like, fuck all the way off. But the family has raised some money and got a NICU room at the East Tennessee Children's Hospital named after her because she wanted to be a neonatal, like, intensive care unit nurse. And they got, like, a dog park named after her. And then they have a scholarship for a Central High student that, like, wants to go into the medical field. And so they've really tried to continue to raise awareness, I I feel like, for teen domestic violence, but also keep Emma's name alive. I mean, I get that there is a difference in first degree and second degree murder, like his intent. Well, they were even calling that like intentional. It wasn't manslaughter. Maybe it was manslaughter. Like it was like something like way smaller. I mean, I do get like the difference. And so you do want to show intent because it is a harsher punishment. But it doesn't matter if he meant to kill her or not. He killed her. He was torturing her by frightening her to draw her closer to him again. Like, I don't care if you meant to. It's not like they were driving a car, they got into an accident, and then he's like, oh my God, like, I didn't mean to, you know, drive that fast and kill her. You know, that kind of thing. Which would be like a vehicular manslaughter or something like that. Yeah. This is like him saying, yeah, so I went and robbed this bank and I took a gun and then like to scare him. I fired a shot and then killed someone. Right. So you, in the course of a felony, you had a gun and you killed somebody. Mm-hmm. You're going away, buddy. Like, again, fuck all the way off. Like, you are this adult at this point. And I, I don't know. Because he is so young and all the things. But I just don't understand. Like, just go live your college life. Like, let her do finish up her high school years. You're in college, playing football, doing your thing. Just go live your fucking life. Like, I don't, I just don't understand the need for the control over somebody in their life so much that you feel like, like he was like, I can't live without her. And, you know, not that if I can't have her, nobody can, but like, I have to have her. I have to, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, I just, I just don't understand that. And it's like looking back I don't think that you could have necessarily prevented this escalation, but I'm like, man, I just wish somebody had called the police when he faked his kidnapping or, okay, somebody's been walking around in this dark thing. Like, police had no idea, you know? Yeah. Because her her parents were doing the best that they could. Like, I think they even installed a security system and all that to try to make her feel better, but it's like, 
I don't know. Because ultimately, this is Riley's fault. Like, he did this. This is his fault. There is yes. no one to blame but Riley. 1,000%. Just thinking about young 14, 16-year-old Emma trying again as a child to handle these very adult problems and to figure out, because not only is she trying to handle adult problems, she's trying to do it without getting in trouble from her parents. Because she's scared that she's going to be punished for something that somebody else is doing. Because as much as she knows how he's treating her is wrong, she doesn't want to lose him. So she doesn't Mm -hmm. want anybody to really know because she doesn't want to lose him. But she knows it's really not right, but she loves him. But it's not, it's bad. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's hard for anyone to navigate, you know? But yeah, thinking about, in high school doing that? Good gosh. And then all of her friends, too, that were trying to navigate these problems with her and help her. And I just feel so sorry for all of them. Yeah. There was a 2020 episode on this. I didn't watch it. Um, I Like every time I tried to look for it, it I couldn't find it anywhere. I'm going to be honest. I didn't look super hard. But Oh, my God. Uh, Court Junkie, like I said, does a really good episode on this where they really break down the timeline of the gun, like when he got the gun, what he told his friends, how they helped the police, and so forth and so on. So if you really want to hear hear more about the court part of it too, you know, definitely check out that episode. It's just so freaking sad. So sad. Well, and I think it just shines a light too on domestic violence for teens and how you really do have to take that serious. It's not just oh, they're teenagers in love and they're making these all these decisions and it'll pass and all that. No, you have to take these things serious. And I just wonder if maybe, like I just, what, every time I was listening to the story, I was like, okay, how, like what is something they could have implemented that would have helped this situation? And maybe getting her in some counseling to where like she could, you know, a, a third party with no particular interest in the matter mm-hmm. could really help shine a light on this isn't how you deserve to be treated and this isn't how people should treat each other and you know that maybe it would have given her like it would have empowered her yeah and and it not coming from her parents because again i really think she was scared to get in trouble because when they did see those hateful texts you know she wouldn't be able to see it and it's like okay so let's take that off the table and let's show her why this is wrong why this doesn't work and then, and like you said, empower her to make that decision instead of the parents having to be the one that says, but what the fuck do I know? I don't have kids. And I didn't have, this was not my teen life story. I was hanging out with Donna. <laughs> playing phase 10. Playing phase 10 and eating snacks out of their little Debbie container. <laughs> and then going outside and smoking cigarettes. My mom didn't know us. But you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. this was not my life. Yeah. It's so hard just to think because it's so... I don't know. It's just so hard. Look, it's a drinking game. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Of how many times I've said this this episode, but it's so easy for me to sit here that never went through any of this and knows the whole story front to back, and to sit and say, okay, how could they have done this differently? You know. But I'm just trying to kind of think about, you know, if you or your kids or you know your teenager or like what if you're going through something like this, what could you? offer them and I really feel like maybe a third party's perspective so that they're not defensive and maybe they could be a part of deciding who they see so that 
It's not, well, mom's making me come see this lady who I don't know about, you know? Yeah. Kids are hard. It is. Like, everything. Kids, just live in life. Life is fucking hard. It has been for you for sure lately. Well, I just been in general, but yeah. It is. Well, you know what? Like we said the other day, life is going to freaking life. Yes. And thank y'all so much for being so supportive of all of our life events. Y'all have been through a lot with us. Both of our dads have died. New jobs, new houses, both of us losing pets. I mean, y'all have been through some shit with us. I got married. Donna's still single. I mean, she's been mingling a lot, so you've been through that too. (laughs) So, for real, thank y'all so much for supporting us in these last five years of all of these life events. It Near-death experiences. I was going to say, for both of us. Yes. So, the... The typhoid Mary of all typhoid Marys when I was sick for like three months. Oh, my God. And then the pick line thing was not. Y'all, y'all been through it with us. So thank y'all so much for loving us the way you do and supporting us the way you you do. It really means the world to us that y'all are part of our lives in this way. Yes. So thank y'all so much. And I mean, you know, I got to say it. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review all the things. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.